And now, it's time for a Star Trek story. We were talking and singing um, little Phil Collins here. Um, and as we all know, Phil Collins is the king of romance. <laughs> <laughs> is this a horny episode? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Bonk. Yeah. Um, so, Aaron, my question is, mm. is romance inherently silly? Yes. Thank you for listening, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, so romance is inherently silly. I think so. Mm, how so? Well, first of all, I think being silly is a good thing. Mm. So silly is not a negative word. I also mm. tend to agree. Yeah. Silly is the best of all things. <laughs> romance is silly. It's It's this... Speaking of evolution, like this thing we hang on to from our our primitive days, like the chemical love, the th- the happiness, the euphoria we feel of like, Bucky yeah, that, brain love. Yeah, I was gonna say eventually fades over time, but the the silly romance doesn't ever have to die. You know what I mean? It, it never should. All right. Well, romance is inherently silly. Um, We'll see if Star Trek agrees on today's episode of Star Trek Stories, where we answer only the biggest of questions. Um, This is episode 30, Menage a Troy. (laughs) 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 Oh, yeah, Troy episode. Here we go. What a title. What a title. Menage a Troy. (laughs) I wonder how they will uh, utilize your character in this episode. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Welcome to the show, everyone. I, uh, of course, am your distinguished host, Jaron Hatch, and I'm joined here by my very posh co-host, Aaron Cole. Hello, Aaron. How are you doing today? I'm good. It's been a while. (laughs) So long. (laughs) Days of future past. (laughs) Um, Yes, um, we are deep in our look at the TNG renaissance. It's been a lot of fun so far. Um, this is the second episode in our Lucy Goosey twofer, um, where we're looking at how TNG tried to loosen up a bit after a, a stiff start, if you will. Um, (laughs) last time we watched Captain's Holiday, um, where our good friend Mindy Barnes came over and we all watched Captain Picard get late for the first time. A lot of fun. Oh, my God. Speaking of silly, in case you haven't heard, everyone, um, Ellen Marie Lewis is back on the show with us, everyone. Thank you for having me. It's been so long. So long. It's great to see you. How are the wife and kids? Oh, my God. The wife and kids. Just catch the game last night. What's new? (laughs) Um, Ellen is, of course, one of our Star Trek noobs that we're in the middle of introducing to TNG for the first time. And this is going to be our little season three episode. Um, last time we watched The Measure of a Man. Very serious stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and now for something completely different. And now for something completely different. And I know some people are like, this is what you're picking from season three. Like, <laughs> gotcha. menage a Troy. You know, if we only did just the all-time greats from every season, it just wouldn't give an accurate snapshot 
of the show. You got to throw in if you don't if you are introducing someone to Star Trek and you aren't showing them the silly ones, shame on you. Yeah, and the show would, shame on you. Our show would be like three seasons long, maybe. <laughs> right. <laughs> I also want to say, like, my first introduction to watching Star Trek, watching the original series, was the Vulcan mating season episode mm-hmm. where. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spock was literally so horny that he could die. Yeah. No. So uh, I think this is, <laughs> from from what I can understand about this episode, this is going to be a nice full circle moment. Full circle. Here we go. We're back to horny Star Trek, everyone. Star Trek <laughs> at its prime. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about this, Ellen. Um, and ever since I've known you, you have always been someone who has had a deep appreciation for camp for all things silly and punny. I mean, I don't know if how you feel on this. For me, silliness is always I mean, it's it's ridiculous. I think sometimes silly too often though gets regarded as as it's not important. But for hu- animals to crack jokes and to share humor, there is a very tiny number of animals that have shown any kind of capacity for humor because i think it takes some level of awareness Mm -hmm. you have to be able to get the joke for it to work so for me i'm like i think silliness speaks to a lot about the human condition it's not just unimportant i think it's very bonding um our capacity to be able to laugh at tragedy i think can be very therapeutic absolutely i feel like a lot of People, including myself, use humor sometimes to deal with difficult things in our own life or just even in social situations to kind of work past insecurity and feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, humor can be a big part of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Also, just knowing that both of you uh, come from an acting background um, I've had a lot of people I know who act say that comedy is a lot more difficult to do than drama. It is. It is. It, it, it requires a lot. This is why, I mean, not every comedian, but um, we've talked earlier on the show about Bill Hader. And fa- fa- Light of my life. Hull, one of the funniest guys out there right now. Mm-hmm. But he has got some dramatic chops. Mm-hmm. He can bring it. He's really good in Barry. He's great in Barry. He's great in uh, The Skeleton Twins, if any of you have seen that. Mm, I haven't. Um, it was a Sundance film that he was in probably around 2014, 2015. That's uh, him and Kristen Wiig play uh, two siblings that you know are twins that um, both uh, attempt suicide on the same day and kind of meet up for the first time in about 10 or 15 years. Um of trying to support each other through a difficult time. There's definitely some black comedy moments, but there are really dramatic sides to both people that at the time that it came out, you hadn't really seen from either actor and they're both excellent in it. Yeah. I think like a huge trait that you see from comedian to comedian is real life trauma, usually at an early age, mm-hmm. some kind of thing that really gave them a, a cynical view of the world growing mm-hmm. up. That's what makes them so fucking funny. But it also gives them those, that ability to tap into those dramatic roots as well. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I think it requires a certain amount of empathy in order to be able to like, you know, find the humor in a situation and also to be able to relay that to people. I, I think it does require a certain kind of empathy. And I wonder if that's also like 
comedy being a backdoor for some comedians to approach serious stuff as well because it's like it you you have to in order for comedy to work you have to understand the tragedy of a situation and mm -hmm. how that tragedy affects people and then how you can turn it into a joke right. absolutely if, <laughs> if you can still make those people that would otherwise be offended laugh at that joke then it's, mm -hmm. that's a well-crafted joke mm -hmm. absolutely like there's such a difference between like actually like like an offensive joke isn't offensive if you're actually funny like if you're being lazy it's offensive like yeah. you need to look for the actual humor in the uh, situations of taking like uh like pot shots mm -hmm. gut shots sure. i almost said pot guts but that's pot guts taking mm. pot guts <laughs> <laughs> taking yeah. pot guts of people you can really that's, use that's offensive you yeah. can really use jokes to <laughs> to open people's minds to new thoughts and ideas that they've never even thought about before you know what i mean and it's it's so much easier to swallow that yeah. information if you're laughing at it you know at the same time I mean, we were talking earlier about um, um, a, a podcaster, um, like a comedian turned journalist, and I've listened to other comedians kind of turned, you know, journalist or whatever. And like being able to get the humor in there, if you can get people laughing, it's amazing how much more receptive people can be if they're all laughing together. Um, yeah, it just gives it a whole different perspective it, it's really just tragedy from a different lens it's yeah. just what humor is that's why it's like the other side of the the masks in mm -hmm. you know the the greek theater mask yeah yes. the happy sam yeah um well you know speaking of silliness um ellen what are your thoughts on is romance inherently silly oh absolutely um <laughs> <laughs> just kind of even thinking about um what we were saying earlier kind of about like those you know, chemical releases, like when you're, you know, talking to someone or uh, and you're having this like huge dopamine rush, like you will say things in that moment that you would not normally say to other people. Like I've gone back and read like text messages I've sent to like people I've had crushes on. I'm just like, why did I say that? Or even just vice versa. Like I've received some text messages where it's like out of context, like, you know, it's 7 a.m. I'm eating breakfast or something and getting a text from someone that's just, like, incredibly thirsty and just being like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, why would you say that? It's like, because I'm not in this moment with you. Um, where it's, like, maybe if, like, you know, we were in, like, similar head spaces, it would be something that would be, like, really flattering or just, like, something that's more, like, receptive, but just, like, even kind of just going back and looking at it later on. And it's just, like, this is not how you normally talk this is not how I normally talk like mm -hmm. there's just this level of being really like flustered or like really just like infatuated with someone that makes you talk like Charles Dickens sometimes like yeah. <laughs> your brain is like no they'll love it go for it do right it. do it it's a good idea read her poetry <laughs> why the fuck are you reading me poetry you get away from me <laughs> Oh my God! I um, I mean, I asked the question just because personally, I'm like, romance is silly, right? But some people take romance very seriously, so I'm like, let me get some other perspective on this. So I'm glad you're all on the same page with me. You know, it's this romance is so, if you're especially if you're going back to its classical de definition, it's so rooted in idealism. But it, r romance so rarely actually meets that ideal and our struggle 
our one-minded struggle to reach that ideal can be just <laughs> ridiculous. Um, I think pairing that with comedy is really interesting too, because I think those are just in terms of like in fiction, like probably the two most like universal things that you can share as an audience. Rom-com. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to Shakespeare and beyond. Right. Yeah. Um, well, let's see if this little episode of Star Trek helps us discover if romance is silly or not. <laughs> um, yes, we are watching Menage a Troy. <laughs> um, this premiered May 28th, 1990. We've now officially made it to the 90s. So, yeah, this this is the 24th episode produced for the third season. This episode was indeed created to be a straight-up comedy, um, as opposed to the first episode in our loosey-goosey twofer. That was more of like an adventure romp with comedic elements. This one's just a straight-up comedy. Um, so yeah, well, I guess we can see how TNG specifically handles comedy. Um, and then for you and I, Aaron, um, we have a couple of returning elements in this episode. Um, first, we have Troy's mom. The unforgettable Waxana Troy Yay. Um, is making a return to our watch list. Waxana was originally introduced in the first um, season episode, Haven. And that one, she was kind of set up as like this kind of boisterous but secretly wise, like matriarchal figure. Um, played, of course, by the first lady of Star Trek, Major Barrett Roddenberry. Um we also have the return of the Ferengi on our watch list. Um, they were introduced in the first season episode, The Last Outpost, and they were originally set up as a race of evil, hyper-capitalist pirates who were supposed to be the big bads of TNG. Unfortunately, um, their, <laughs> first, <Swing and> miss. <laughs> their first appearance was so laughably bad that mm. there was no salvaging them as the big bads from that point. Um, so yeah, for you and I, we get to kind of see how in this season of recontextualization, how they kind of have recontextualized Troy's mom and the Ferengi. And Troy. And Troy. Well, not um, really. <laughs> and for you, Ellen, this will be your first introduction to some of these things. The Ferengi, they are a classic Star Trek race. And Troy's mom is unforgettable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to see in what context you mean that by. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so for those of you at home, this is your invitation to watch. Star Trek The Next Generation is streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You can find it by bringing up Season 3, Episode 24, and we will be back after we all have a menage a Troy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
My love is a fever, longing still for that which longer nurseth the disease. Tell me more. In faith, I do not love thee with mine eyes, for they in thee a thousand errors see, but tis my heart that loves what they despise, who, in despite of view, art pleased to dote. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Let me not you didn't the tell me that mind. you and Captain Picard were... You said you didn't want to hear about my other romances. I have a new love, Jean-Luc. And you can't keep killing all my lovers. Now that simply has to stop. Killing? Oh, is insanely jealous. Listen, Tog, I must possess Luxana, and if that means destroying your ship in the process, so be it. Captain, I had uh, no idea Luxana... Don't was... let him threaten you. You can defeat him. The only way you'll ever get me back is over Tog's dead body. That can be arranged. Mr. Worf, arm phaser banks and photon torpedoes. If Luxana Troy is not in my arms in ten seconds, throw everything you've got at the crater. But you will destroy Loxana. When I have plucked the rose, I cannot give it vital growth again. It needs, must wither. Nine, eight. Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Seven, six. Uh, no, wait. Five, four. Beam her to their three, bridge now. Two, one. You wonderfully jealous fool, you. Oh my God! Yes, we just got done watching Menage a Troy. <laughs> um, in case you did not watch it with us or have never seen this episode, basically what happens is that Commander Riker, Counselor Troy, and Counselor Troy's mom Loxana gets kidnapped by a Ferengi admirer. Admirer, <laughs> to say the least, who has fallen in love with her and also wants to steal her telepathic powers. And use it for profit. And use it for profit while he has also fallen madly in love with her. And they end up rescuing them. In the meantime, in the B-plot, Wesley Crusher is supposed to leave and go off to the Academy, misses the bus, and they Space just... Space bus. <laughs> and they just, you know what? We're just going to promote you to actual ensign and Put you in the uniform, and yay, Wesley's an ensign now in the B-plot. Yeah, Ellen, thoughts coming off of Menage Troy? 
<laughs> uh, if you really want to impress someone, don't call them a female. <laughs> what a female. Mm. <laughs> That's a good step one. I like that. He called her woman. <laughs> After a little bit. It's like, I don't know, like 29 minutes in or something. She is a woman. <laughs> uh... I think that's the first time I've ever seen, like, an ear job on TV. <laughs> and then, like, the Barbarella dentist thing that was going on. Like, I'm just thinking about, like, you know, we're watching this on streaming on, like, a Sunday evening. Um, I'm trying to imagine, like, like turning on TV at, like, uh, like 3 p.m. on a Wednesday on, like, UPN in 1990. <laughs> like, what that experience would be. Middle of the episode, like, what is going on? <laughs> Just coming in to her, giving him the ear job. Is this a Frankenstein's monster situation? Like, oh, the Ferengi might be my favorite race created in all of Star Trek. They're so horrible. Your favorites, eh? Yeah. They are redonkulous. They're so redonkulous, but so necessary. <laughs> oh, they're so funny, and they only get better with time. Like, they start off terrible, as we talked about, but then, like, when you get into the deep space nine days. When they're just full satire. <sighs> hyper-capitalist trolls. Yeah, I love the Ferengi. And I, I'm i really glad that you gave the context of the fact that they were supposed to be like the... Big bads. The big bads, the recurring antagonists, and they're just... They're just so goofy. <laughs> they all sound like comic book guy from The Simpsons. Oh, my God. <laughs> Best life ever. You really, yeah, they're so goofy. You like, even like in this episode, they're supposed to be threatening and you're still just like, <laughs> they're wearing like happy, colorful, sparkly space robes as he's <laughs> torturing her on the Barbarella dentist chair. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so this episode does debut. That meme that has lived on in infamy. <laughs> Picard doing the... That is probably not this episode's biggest claim to fame is Picard doing the... His appeal. The, the handout <laughs> gesture. And now you have the context for where it's from. Yeah, I I was picturing it being something more genuinely anguished. Like, it's very much like a come on, man kind of gesture. <laughs> not necessarily like reciting like a Shakespearean sonnet. <laughs> oh, my God. I think it was you, Aaron, who was talking about... Uh, like how how fun it is to see someone who is like like an incredibly talented actor playing someone who is not very good at acting. Yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> it's really fun. Yeah. Um, Aaron, thoughts on Menage a Troy? What a wild episode. <laughs> and it's season three too, which is like this yeah. is regarded as the good stuff. Yeah. Oh, this is when the good show gets good. We promise. We're Mostly. <laughs> It's one of the goofiest episodes of Star Trek I've ever seen. It's so funny. It's uh, anytime so Troy's mom comes into the picture, it's going to be a good episode. That's going to be a that's a, But the fun thing about Troy's mom is that she's always a wild card because some of the episodes mm-hmm. she gets are super serious and mm-hmm. like, oh, this is so sad. And then she just gets some of the goofiest, like, what the fuck did I just watch episodes? There's like no middle ground with her. It's one or the other. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, this episode is super goofy. It's very silly. <laughs> it's extremely goofy. Extreme. It's one of the, you know, they said they wrote it. Here's the weird thing about this one. I feel like this is like 
so there was a concerted effort to make this a comedy and to do more comedy episodes. And I'm like, this, it feels just almost like a regular Star Trek episode that's just really goofy rather than being like an actual had a few moments of like okay that's like Picard at the end doing the whole shtick okay that's definitely comedic stuff but otherwise it's like that's a fairly serious scenario they're in but it's just (laughs) you can't take it seriously for a second right I mean I guess like with like a lot of like comedic um you know scenarios in fiction where there's like multiple characters playing off of each other like it's like whatever's going on has to be like serious to like at least one character mm-hmm. in there. So I think with most like comedic setups for something, especially trying to keep it within the universe, like that is to be expected for sure. the stakes to still be, you know, real to them. Cause like in this universe, this is something that's really happening. Uh, just, I feel like they really capture like, the generational differences that some people experience with like in mother daughter relationships mm-hmm. very well, obviously like very much like taken to 11, like a very goofy version of that. But I know this is a much different piece of media, but I was just thinking the other day about the relationship in Ladybird between mm-hmm. her and her mom. I was like, I can kind of see like shades of that where like this mom is very like specific expectations for like her daughter that she doesn't necessarily vibe with and also thinks that her resistance to that comes from like a place of like youthfulness. Like I think that's something that is taken to a huge extreme, but is something that I think a lot of people experience with mm-hmm. their mothers. Like something that like I've experienced with my mom at times also, but mm-hmm. um probably in like uh less cunty outfits. <laughs> For lack of a better term, <laughs> like the the gold zebra print, like cleavage window dress, like iconic. <laughs> well, see now we know where uh, Deanna Troy gets her little her her standard issue boob onesies and and, and dresses. <laughs> she gets it from her mom, <laughs> right? It's a it's a cultural thing. You gotta have your titties out. Oh my god, incredible! <laughs> Gosh. I just have to say also, I think this is the first episode I've seen, like, these characters in their, like, day off clothes, like, their casual wear, and it is all very, also very silly. I know this is probably something that, like, carries on in other episodes where they're dressed casually that are more dramatic. They're still oh, wearing, like, so a cobalt blue, like, karate robes. <laughs> oh, Riker's outfit in his trousers? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Computer. Make me a pattern from Joanne's fabric. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, there's, I'm really shocked. There's no one who's just wearing like a, like some like sensible, like new balances and like nope. jeans and a nope. t-shirt. Like there's no like comfy dad core in the future. Like, oh no, it's all onesies and space lounge wear and <laughs> wearing like a, like a ball gown to go on like a picnic. Oh, yeah, she's wearing like full on like lavender heels, just walking through the grass. Like she's not, she's not staying on like the sidewalk or any the space sidewalk. <laughs> yes, of course, in the space park. <laughs> she's going for a vision in lavender, certainly, <laughs> head to toe. Yeah, what did you? Say? She looked like Meg from Hercules. Hercules. Yeah, just, uh, yes, um, yeah. Uh, Deanna's outfit. 
yeah, wild outfits. Yeah, my God, throughout the whole episode, we were just constantly making like space this, space this. This episode definitely leans into like that whole shtick. Space park, space plants, space lettuce. Fun fact, that space lettuce was originally supposed to be something else. Um, but you eat it with your hands. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. So. <laughs> Just like uh, like the hand feeding of like the space lettuce. It's like, mm, that that's is a, not, that's, that's not how you eat that. Feeding with the hands, so intimate. Yeah, so t- to make it even more intimate, that lettuce was originally supposed to be something very different. This Devil's so, lettuce? Oh my gosh. So, no, no, <laughs> no. Something very different. So, so at this point in the show Gene Roddenberry has even more removed from the show but he did come and he was involved in this episode um, particularly because his wife was in the episode my wife my wife (laughs) Um, but as we as we know Aaron Gene loves his Gene was the one who wanted to get all the horny sexy stuff in in Star Trek dirty old man we talked about and so in the very first Ferengi episode he wanted the when he introduced the Ferengi he wanted them to have giant cod pieces <laughs> that was part of his and he wanted the Ferengi ship to basically look like an a cock and balls that would erect when they went into battle mode they were like Gene it's a family show we can't we can't do this is that is that why they're so like insecure <laughs> like they've been legitimately like neutered by the network neutered by the network or, I guess. Are, are they on like an official network work at this point or is this still uh syndication first run syndication the whole run is in first run syndication so they can kind of do what they want to to a degree to a degree to a a degree it's still 3 p.m on a wednesday on upn (laughs) um so originally when they did this episode and they're having the picnic scene gene wanted rather than space lettuce he wanted loxana to hand like a fruit that was long (laughs) thick and had little veins going down it. A girthy fruit. <laughs> a very girthy fruit that she would have to buy. So if you go back and listen to the dialogue in that scene and imagine it rather than space lettuce as like penis fruit. Oh my god. Riker that, dialogue, a bite. that dialogue. Like, yeah, do you feel like the sap flowing through the veins? <laughs> yep. That makes a lot more very sense. Very tasty. <laughs> and just hands it to Troy. Like, try it. Try it. That makes different. a lot more sense than like lettuce having. Let, yeah, this mm. cum, cum lettuce. <laughs> Space kale with its own dressing on the inside. Jesus Christ. The salad Gene. already has ranch. Gene, it's a fucking family show. That's we what keeps it warm. A giant she says. fruit dildo. On the, yeah, and this, that, that's the sap running out. Oh, and it's gotten all over. The, the thing. <laughs> The thing also, like, knowing that now also is just, like, you know, like, the day that they're filming it, like, like needing something edible that you can use as a prop. Like, imagine, like, if you had to be the prop person that had to, like, make edible Giants. dick fruit. Like, I think uh, whoever the prop master was being like, okay, we just need, like, a, like a PA to go to, like, Vaughn's and get some lettuce and come back. Like, that's... Can we just do space letters or something? Yeah. Like, yeah. That got my master's at NYU for this. Right. <laughs> it's going to be the next Martin Scorsese. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, I guess on that similar note, Ellen, what's your what's your take on the Ferengi? <laughs> um, 
I, I think I've had a few like try to hit me up before. I'll be honest. Mm, yeah, what, yeah, neckbeards. Yeah, as we call them. Yes, undoubtedly. I'm st- I'm still fascinated by this. They they're supposed to be hyper capitalist trolls obsessed with profit. I, I I always find it an interesting commentary that they always are like also giant misogynists and have this really back ass backwards view toward women and they just kind of conflate the two. And I'm like, that's actually very interesting that they right. just conflate hyper capitalism also with this hyper masculinity, but they're all this little trolls who are like seemingly insecure about <laughs> <laughs> because none of them are actually strong or masculine at all. Yeah. They're all the, like I, I'm sorry. Show. I don't mean for this to be a diss. I think a lot of them are probably on like our finance. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Just typing away. Probably 14 years old. <laughs> they're they're the ones who inflated the games uh GameStop stock. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's exactly who the Ferengi are. We can make this skyrocket and then all the gamer females <laughs> will the love us. Bros. Oh yeah, totally. I There's just so many your stock go up, babe. <laughs> Hundreds of Ferengi on Fintwit, no doubt. Mm. But hey, you know what they do have? Those Ferengi is the uh, the rules of acquisition. Yeah, yeah, in real life too, and there are some good rules out there to follow. Um, it, they, you know, they work much better. We've only this is the only the second time we've done it. Watch them in our uh, little episode list. They are much better as like they're definitely played more intentionally just silly in this episode than they are in the first one. They work so much better when they're silly than they do at trying to be some actual kind of bad guy. <laughs> yeah. They can be antagonistic, but they, yeah, there's gotta be that comedy in there just because they're so goofy. Mm. You know, here's a question. Would this episode, if would they make this episode nowadays? Would this play in 2022 or 2023? I, I think, think it could be done fairly similarly. I think, um, I mean, I obviously don't know what the fan reaction was to this episode when it came out. Like, if people took personal offense to the Ferengis having, like, zero game. <laughs> yeah, if they kind of made it about, like, if they played up that a- that neckbeard aspect that we were talking about a little bit, mm-hmm. made it like a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I could see it working that way. And... I like that point you made about the mother-daughter mother-daughter relationship. That's one of the best parts of of Diana's character mm. is her relationship with her mom yeah. through the show. That's one of the only pieces of meat that she really gets to chew on through the series. Yeah, aside from her normally, I'm sensing something, Captain. Right. Yeah, she gets to do... I'm sensing that my mom is giving an ear job in the other room and I have <laughs> right. to listen to it because there's nowhere else I can go. Uh, I feel my parents in the next room. <laughs> oh, that was. No. She's not having a good time. <laughs> so maybe oh, that part wouldn't be included in 2023, or maybe it would. Incest is all the rage right now. It, <laughs> it's all the rage, folks. Uh, at least on You're HBO. first. Oh, yeah. New York's hottest club is. <laughs> oh, keep it. We keep it here in the family. <laughs> no. In the family. Mm. Mm. Um, what do you think this? Do you, do you guys think this works as a comedy? What do you think has this like actually working as a comedy? I mean, 
with with the parts of it I found relatable, it did play as like kind of a horror movie in some <laughs> in some scenes. Right. Yeah. Kind of. It's like this is actually yeah. kind of also unsettling. Right. <laughs> Like, yeah. I do think there was a lot of stuff that was, like, inherently, like, just very funny and fun about this episode, but mm. just kind of when you think about some of the further implications, like, you know, being held against your will, being, like, stripped down against your will, like, right. things like that, right. where it's it's just like, that's not They put up with so fun. much. No, that's not great. No, not, not great, Bob. Um <laughs> Maybe that's what they like. Maybe if this were done nowadays on like Star Trek Discovery or something, it wouldn't. They they wouldn't play it at all as like a silly, goofy episode. Maybe like they would actually take it seriously. It's like this is serious. It's like you're basically seeing like female coercion, um, and essentially rape. I mean, she goes down with them. I mean, she does it to get out of there, but she does not want to be there. It is not enthusiastic consent. No. <laughs> and um, also, just there've been times too, like I, uh, like with like being like being like Picard, like come win me back, like having to do the like, oh, I have a boyfriend thing when someone's hitting on me that I'm not interested in, but I don't feel comfortable saying no, thank you. Like the times that I've been in those situations, or. I've had customer service jobs before where I would wear like a fake engagement ring I got at Forever 21 when I'm like working in like a front desk area. So it's like, hey, like, uh-uh, like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's literally how they solve, save the day is playing the I have a boyfriend card. Right. But, but played up with I have a boyfriend He Picard. goes to a different spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> He's in Space Canada. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> he goes to the space school just on the other side of town. <laughs> yeah, that's how they do it. That's so, but, yeah, He goes to they, a different academy. <laughs> Starfleet Academy. Yeah, that's my guess. If they did this nowadays, they would excise all that stuff and make it more about like the women in the situation and what they have to deal with and like fuck these guys rather mm-hmm. than like oh you Ferengi oh you goofy <laughs> bastards <laughs> oh you um i guess we also really quick have to talk about um Wesley Crusher's little B plot of missing the space bus so he can be Ensign Wesley Crusher it it <laughs> It's just from what I understand about, like, uh, fan reactions to this character. Um, I kind of get the vibe from this episode that they were trying to lead people like, hey, like, maybe he's going away and we're doing this in a way that makes sense with the plot. Like, you know, I must go now. My planet needs me. Mm. Um, and then they're like, just kidding, bitch. Like, he's here forever now. Like, I think <laughs> it's interesting knife. that, uh, I don't know how intentional it is. Like, I don't know what, uh, like the fan relationship Gene Roddenberry had was with like fans at this time. Yeah. If that was something that it was intentionally meant to be kind of like fucking with people a little bit or. Yeah. So yeah, a couple things with that. So Gene Roddenberry, first off, he, I mean, he definitely knew his audience, but in interviews, he would always say, um, I'm not doing what the fans want me to do. Um, 
He, and he always called that prostitution. He was like, oh, no, I want to tell the stories I want to tell. I know what I like. I know my audience, but I'm not just going to cater to the audience to what they want. Um, and then also Wesley Crusher is essentially like a personal Mary Sue for Gene Roddenberry. Um, he essentially envisioned Wesley as like, what if I got to be on the bridge of the Enterprise as a kid? And so Gene put a lot of himself in that role. That's kind of, so Wesley is essentially a, a, a stand-in for young Gene Roddenberry. I didn't realize that. I was thinking of it more in like I know at one point I uh, described him as like space scrappy do. Like <laughs> I kind of thought that he was potentially added in to have like kind of this like kid appeal character to be like, see, it's for families because there's a kid here. Um, just kind of the way that like Scrappy Doo was added because everyone was like, oh, like we need something new to add to the show to break up the formula a bit. Everybody likes puppies normally. Uh mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the well, so like the official on paper reason was like, we're gonna have a kid on the enterprise and that's gonna differentiate it from the old show and it, it'll attract younger viewers. But that's that's really what Wesley was to Gene. Um and in fact, uh, in the day where they did Wesley come in and wearing the uniform, <laughs> um, it, after they filmed all that, they did an actual little a ceremony where Gene Roddenberry gave Will Wheaton his little second lieutenant bars he had from World War II when he was in the Air Corps. That's really sweet. Um, Colin Powell was actually there for the ceremony. What? General, <laughs> General Colin Powell. Yeah. Weird behind the scenes trivia. Yeah, he always meant a lot to Gene. So Gene always, and and Wesley and Will Wheaton has talked about Gene Roddenberry kind of being like a second dad when he was on the show. Because uh, I watched, um, I don't know if any of you have seen on HBO the documentary. I think it's called Showbiz Kids. Um, it's directed by, I'm forgetting his actual name, but Bill from Bill and Ted. But it's this. Oh yeah, God! What is I can't, I can't I can't remember his name either. Oh, yeah. um, no one ever but remembers. My, Bill. my apologies. <laughs> Sorry, I think Bill. He's a great <laughs> for Bill Ted's. I know I know it's bogus, but um, <laughs> way bogus, bro. Um, just with like his background being like a child actor, had access to talk to a lot of really prominent child actors, like past and present, and. It seems like there was like a lot going on in like Will Wheaton's personal life at this time and like, you know, being like a child actor, like, you know, is often like kind of a difficult situation. Like there aren't a lot of child actors who go into that line of work out of like a personal interest in acting. Um, So it's one of those things while I talk about this, like I know like the reputation of this character and... You know, from the episodes I've seen that he's in, I don't feel like, for me, he personally adds a lot to the story. But I also just want to make sure that I'm being really respectful of, like, how difficult it is being, like, a child in that industry and that I'm not putting anything on this actor. Because that doesn't seem like that was the case in some of the fan discussions that were going on Mm -hmm. at the time that this was airing. No, he got the death threats as a kid. Yeah. Um, Horrible. Um, I mean, in more, in more recent days, there's actually been more conversations about the ethics of child actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are like, well, I mean, we can't not have kids in shows. And I'm like, it's raised some interesting questions. Like, because a lot of kid actors don't come out okay. 
lots of them. It's pernicious. So, uh, and it's, you have to like, is it the environment or is it just the nature of the thing that's very confusing for kids? Um, I mean, it's even just like an industry that is difficult for adults also. I mean, just. Very taxing. Uh, even just thinking back on everything with Harvey Weinstein that came out, that there were just like people like who, you know, had like some really strong ties within the industry that you know it doesn't really matter necessarily like the level the other levels of privilege you have if you are still hold on to like are part of identities or communities that are still kind of inherently in these like really older systems seen as second class Mm -hmm. um just yeah there's a lot of Mm-hmm. ways that you can be taken advantage of and mm-hmm. by some very powerful people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Poor Will. Yeah. He seems like a, he's okay these uh, days. And uh, from what I can tell, like he's, he's doing good. Yeah. If you're, very, if you're listening to this, well, we love you, Will. We're proud of you. You're doing amazing, sweetie. Uh- <laughs> She's made it out. Like one, yeah. of the, one of the, one of the better ones. Really? Yeah. Very effervescent guy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've talked about on the show before, Aaron, I don't think either one of us hate Wesley Crusher either. He's not our favorite. Sure. <laughs> and he kind of drags down some of aspects of the show. But we love Will. And it's like, yeah, Wesley's, Wesley has its moments from time to time. Any final thoughts on Menage a Troy? Uh, a plus title. Um, a plus title. Um, I know that this is something that you... Uh, Said becomes less and less prominent as um, this iteration goes on. Um, but there was like a, another, like more masculine character wearing a dress near the beginning when they have the like mm-hmm. soiree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really fun to see. I'm yep. kind of sad there weren't any mini skirts this time, but I guess for the event that they were also attending, that probably wasn't part of the dress code. <laughs> uh, so I'll accept like a nice, tasteful ball gown. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't see any more of the scant uniforms for the men. They've phased them out at this point. Give um, us a battle kilt or something, at least. Mm. Well, but we do see on occasion they'll wear, like, the dress uniform, and those are essentially, like, it's, it is a dress version of the uniform. It's a literal dress uniform, and then they're all wearing just black tights underneath. Do you think they're real space Scotsmen? <laughs> One thing I just want to add to, I know we're uh, kind of getting towards the end of our discussion, just from what I've heard about these two kind of sillier episodes that also kind of play into, like, romance and sexuality, like, the fact that, like, older women compared to, like, most stories that are told are, like, kind of being seen more as, like, objects of desire. Mm. I can't really think of a lot of other pieces of media that like embrace milfs the same way. I mean, for like a, true. a lack of a better way to phrase it, because I feel like a lot of times, like if you're over the age of twenty five, you are playing uh, like Alexander Skarsgård's mom. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's so true. Oh no! It's so true. Yeah, it's so very true. 
the trajectory of like you look at Aunt May and the Spider-Man films yeah. and just like, oh my god. Okay, at some point eventually Peter's gonna be older than Aunt May. Gosh, going back to Alexander Skarsgard for a second, just even thinking about in a five year span, like obviously like he didn't cast these roles. He didn't have a say in it, but uh, Nicole Kidman played his wife on Big Little Lies, and then in The Northman that came out last year, Nicole Kidman plays his mother, and it's like, that is not a very fun thing to th- think about. <laughs> she makes out they're, with him in The Northman, peers. too. Spoilers. Gee, <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of incest. <laughs> Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia. That's a spicy casting choice you know but you know you're that ba, that ba, is ba, 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 one point yeah because they actually do in this episode portray waxana as an object of desire and she's got the boob dress and everything and they're not saying like is it ridiculous that anyone would like her or anything so i mean yeah, like that's not something that like in the things in the episode that we're supposed to find ridiculous like that's not something that's like oh look like for some reason this race is really attracted to <laughs> this woman where it's it's treated as just like incredibly normal which no. it shouldn't be a rare thing to see but right it shouldn't be something that i'm like noticing being like huh okay like right absolutely like you think the instinct would be like oh but they're gonna be lusting after deanna troy of course but it's like no they're gonna be like yeah it never comes into question that uh, he's lusting after loxana mm-hmm. how progressive star trek <laughs> <laughs> We're going to make the Ferengi super horny, and they're going to be into older women. Ah, Gene, your vision of the future. Bonk. (laughs) Deanna's mom. Played by my wife. Played by my wife. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, Also, um, one little bit of trivia, Aaron. I don't know if you caught it. The part of Dr. Farrick, the evil Ferengi scientist, was played by Ethan Phillips, who goes on to play Neelix in Star Trek Voyager. I missed that. That's awesome. That's him. Um, Future Star Trek regular, getting their first little appearance in Star Trek right here. Oh, Neelix. Was this... This was also the episode that Lurch was in, right? Lurch from the Adams Family is Mr. Home. We did not mention that last time Mr. Home showed up, but yeah, Lurch definitely plays him. And as a matter of fact, there's an episode of the 60s Star Trek show where the actor who played Lurch in the 60s Adams Family shows up in that show. So everyone's in, it's a tradition. Whoever plays Lurch has to show up on Star Trek at, at, at some point. They're a type, certainly. Um, well, Ellen, thank you so much for coming on and having him in menage troy with us <laughs> better buy me dinner after this <laughs> uh nope we'll get you an uber yeah we, we have a fridge full of uh dick fruit <laughs> a, you have some space lettuce <laughs> oh my god um it's always so fun having you on um i always love hearing your perspectives as a a newbie, but you're also versed in media literacy, so I always love hearing your takes on things. Well, thank you. It's really fun to get to share this with y'all. I appreciate you having me on a couple times now. Yeah, and we will definitely be bringing you back in the future for some more. Thank you. Yeah. I'm looking forward to hopefully earning my Five Timers, timers Club jacket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we need jackets. You know, thank you for coming on. For thank real, you. it was really fun hanging out with you. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, we'll make sure to have you back uh, very soon. We still have more seasons to introduce you to. Um, alrighty. Um, well, um, thank you for listening, everyone. Um, next week, 
Um, we are starting our last twofer for this section of the podcast. But this is not going to be any old twofer. This is an actual two-parter from the show. Um, we are going to be watching The Best of Both Worlds. No way. And we were this- just talking about Hannah Montana. This is <laughs> That's some simulation shit. Guest starring role. <laughs> Miley Cyrus. <laughs> they chill it out and take it slow, and then they rock out the show. <laughs> um, yes, we're going to be watching The Best of Both Worlds. This is going to be the return of the actual big bads of the show, The Borg. Um, for longtime fans, you know exactly what's coming. If you're new to Star Trek, oh boy, buckle up. Buckaroos. Um, <laughs> um, this is like the big make or break moment for Star Trek The Next Generation. This is definitely like the two-part episode where it's like the show is never the same after this two-part episode. Wow. Wow. Uh, oh my God, wow. we've been doing ever since we did that on Encounter of Farpoint. <laughs> we've been doing it ever since. Wow. wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and not only are the Borg coming back, but our good friend and my sibling, Aaron, will be back on as well to talk about that. Yay. Yay. Um, look forward to that. So um, next time, best of both worlds. Best of both worlds. Oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> Special guest star, Miley Cyrus. Can't wait. Queen of the Borg. So excited to have her on the show. Oh, my God. Um Well, until then, we'll see you all later. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to share us your own Star Trek story, you can email us at storiedstartrek at gmail.com, or you can visit our Discord server. You can find us by clicking on the link in the show description.